0: Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for shining on today. Have you ever gotten a message from the divine? I have got a little story of synchronicity today that you might like. It flipped me out. Sarah Weisman is here to talk about how the universe is always talking to us. And then we're going to talk about some surprising and exciting news for people diagnosed with ADD and autism. You're going to meet a behavioral optometrist, the first one I ever met. That's coming up. First, let's get to know spiritual, intuitive Sarah Weissman from Oregon. Her seventh book is called Messages from the Divine, Wisdom for the Seeker's Soul. How did Sarah become a channel for divine
1: wisdom? Well, about four years before the channeling started, I had a near-death experience, and that kind of shook me up. And then sometimes near-death experiences cause your regular life to... You can't look at life the same way anymore? Exactly. And so nothing fits anymore. You don't fit in your old life. And um, so about the time that all of that stuff was happening, um, the channeling just began. It's like I just kept getting more and more open. And uh, then one day uh, it just started coming through in writing.
0: Okay. So were you sitting there and all of a sudden your your hand just grabbed a pen? Or did you say, I'm going to write some stuff down and see if these thoughts are mine or not?
1: You know, actually, this first time, and it hasn't happened that way since, but I actually saw an apparition, and I had no spiritual background at all at that time. I didn't know what the heck was going on. What did it look like? Because uh, it looked sort of like a hazy hazy person okay and then because I'd been you know I'd been a journalist for a long time and my first thought was grab the laptop get this down I just um, grabbed the laptop and this apparition or this being began to speak these messages so this apparition
0: Uh did did the mouth move and the words come out or did you just uh, intuit what was saying
1: I heard it in, yeah, I think it's more like I heard it in my mind's ear.
0: Yep, gotcha.
1: Yeah. And the apparition
0: hung around for a while, this hazy apparition?
1: Yep. Uh, I would say that first day, you know, it's been a long time, but many hours probably I was in that state, and then I would return to that same sofa, and it would happen again. And then I, (laughs) for a while I thought, it's the sofa, (laughs) it's the magic sofa. Uh, But nowadays it's... um. I don't see an apparition, and it's I just lock into the channel, and it's just a stream of knowing that comes through. Okay, and,
0: and how often do you tap into the channel? Every day, once a week, when friends come over?
1: Well, I would love to say I could do it on command, but it's really, I'm usually woken up, you know, like at 3 or 4 in the morning, and I'm mm-hmm. sort of called to, hello there, we'd like you to take this down. Okay. Um, and usually it'll be several several months of stuff coming through, being woken up early.
0: Okay. And you say we, so this is a collective of
1: people? Yeah. Yeah. It's a collective of, I'm going to call them like light beings. Light they're beings. not very dist. They're not particularly distinct from each other.
0: Do you, do you, they're not particularly distinct from each other. Do you live alone?
1: No, no. I'm part of a, of a I have a family of a bunch of adult kids and my husband and so forth.
0: And they say, they see the light under your door and they say, oh, mom's up again talking to the light <laughs> <rings.">
1: <laughs> I think they're still, I think they're sleeping probably pretty soundly. Oh, yeah. How's
0: the family with all this, you know, that that you're a channeler? Are they cool?
1: Well, you know, it's been a long time. So uh, they've all been kind of raised with uh, this, uh, this yeah. reality, you know, since they were little. Yeah, so I don't sometimes. think they think too much of it. But
0: sometimes, you know, the kids are like, Ma, please don't talk to the light beings while my friends are here and stuff like that.
1: Oh, for sure, yes. Middle school especially. Yeah. Mortification, the idea. You know, what? Don't talk about that. Just be soccer. Talk about <laughs> soccer. <laughs> All right. I'm,
0: I'm taking you off topic, but I just enjoy the conversation so much. You are such a delight. What was the near-death experience?
1: Oh, it was in a, uh, a plane incident. And that's all I want to say because I don't like to get into the, the details there, but it was a plane incident and obviously we didn't die. But it was that kind of trauma that opens you up.
0: Okay, so you had that trauma, you come back, you don't fit in your life anymore, you start to channel, and you had a hazy visitation, and now you and the light beings, you're pretty tight. So now you're writing books about the messages you get, or this latest book is about the messages you get. What does your collection of light beings want us to know?
1: They want you us to know two things, the idea of living from your soul or living from the perspective that you're a divine being instead of a personality and a body, sort of running the show. And the second thing they want you to know is that the universe speaks to us very directly all the time in multiple ways and that our uh, purpose here is to have direct connection with all of that communication, not just with spirit guides, but with nature and synchronicities and uh, the flow of events, all of this stuff. We are meant to be intimately speaking that language, that universal language all the time.
0: I feel the same way too. Like I talk to my plants like they were my pets. Mm -hmm. I get messages from my plants. Oh my God, I just said that out loud. Okay. Yes, of course. Talk to people and tell them on behalf of the light beings what they should be doing to tune into the messages from the universe.
1: Some people like meditation. That's great. But a lot of people don't like that. So they can tune in to just nature would be a good thing. Their pets would be a good thing. Anything that takes you out of that place where your mind is like, do this, do that, you're late, blah, 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 blah. You want to get out of the place where your ego is running the show or your mind. And you want to get into that place where you're just sort of being a part of everything all at once. You want to just be fully present to everything all at once. All right. But how can I I
0: trust? How can I trust what
1: I hear? Well, you probably can't trust at the beginning, honestly. But as you sort of do this as an experiment, as you do it as an experiment, you um, begin to just see how uh, the communication starts to come back to you. The universe starts talking back, maybe with a synchronicity, maybe with a message, maybe with a knowing. And then you're like, well, I'll try it again. And then that works. And then I'll try it again. And pretty soon you're moving in this flow stream of just this continuous communication with the universe. Okay. Very, very lovely way to live.
0: It is a lovely way to live, but you can't always stay in that groove. People can pop out of that groove. What's happening when we're frustratingly waiting for a message from the universe and we don't feel connected anymore?
1: Well, that is, this is the journey, to, to go to that place where you're always in this state of connection. So just like, you know, the whole riding a bike, you just keep practicing just keep opening to those possibilities. Um, it's a journey. It's a journey of of personal and soul growth to get to this place. Okay. But the point is to try, to just, like, give it a shot, even if you're not sure if it's going to work, even if you don't believe it really, just give it a try.
0: And synchronicity, what do those kind of messages look like?
1: Oh, gosh, synchronicity um, could be anything, but uh, usually people see these Especially internet is a great way. These emails come pouring in, or these uh, things we notice. the The universe is very good at sending us little signs. It used to be in books, and now now it's in our phones and our computers. These synchronicities come in, and instead of just thinking, "Oh, that's random," follow it. Follow the little breadcrumbs a little bit, and see where it takes you. Do it as a an experiment um, without too much attachment, and just begin to notice. The universe is actually attempting to guide us toward really wonderful things, if we choose to follow.
0: The universe wants to guide us to wonderful things if we choose to follow. So that is Sarah Weisman who says, pay attention to synchronicities. They're messages from the divine. I recorded that conversation with Sarah last Friday. And after I turned off the tape, I said, Sarah, I wish you lived closer because I'd love to have a friend like you. And she said, well, Casey, I do have one friend in the Hudson Valley who I may visit soon. Perhaps we can meet. And even though the Hudson Valley is 7,000 square miles, I said who's your friend? And she said, Christopher Radko. If you're a regular listener, you know Christopher Radko was last week's guest. I wish I had the tape rolling on that because you would have loved my scream. I'll take that synchronicity to mean I am on the right path talking to the people I'm meant to talk to. Hi, it's Casey, and this is Shine On, the health and happiness show. Join me Thursday night coming up April 26th for a free evening of inspiration at the beautiful theater inside the Ossining Library. Sunday, May 6th, we have a free walk and talk in Garrison, going out in the woods. And a Women of Wonder weekend is planned in August at Graymore K-A-C-E-Y dot co. C-O has more. Now, if you know someone of any age diagnosed with ADD or autism or any such designation, or if you know kids who hate reading and they're acting out in school, maybe you want to take them to a behavioral optometrist. This is Dr. Samantha Slotnick. What does a behavioral optometrist do?
2: We work with children and adults who have vision problems that interfere with their ability to read, to learn, to comprehend even just to pay attention. Wow. So yeah, we get people of all ages. We do have uh, a lot of kids in my practice that they just need extra attention, understanding, patience. For example, a patient may come in and the parent says, the kid is misbehaving every time that they are being asked to sit down and read or do a worksheet or you know try to do some handwriting exercises is there something going on in the visual system which is making it uncomfortable for them because it's only in these situations where my child is acting up. There's often problems right. in visual comfort, and a child doesn't know to say, I don't see comfortably, they just avoid the task and create other intrusions on the task.
0: It sounds to me like it, this would be just a field ripe with misdiagnosis in terms of can people, can kids be diagnosed with ADD and things like that when they really just well, have you a- hit-
2: yeah, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, because there, there's actually, there's studies out at this point that show that many of the symptoms of ADD, ADHD, and convergence insufficiency, which is trouble using the eyes as a team at NEAR, many of these symptoms overlap almost one-to-one. So how do you discriminate if there's an attention problem or just a um, visual input and gathering problem? The answer for some parents is when, when they say something to me like, I don't know, my child is smart in everything but school. The yeah. child is smart in everything but school. It takes hours to do what should be twenty minutes worth of homework. Those are suggestions that there there are problems with the interaction, but that smart and everything but school tells you that the child is probably able and willing and interested in learning, but there are situations in which they are preferring not to uh, set their mind to the task. And then it's a relatively straightforward process to identify. Is there a visual problem that contributes to this discomfort at near point, which makes them choose to act up in the um, scholastic and academic situations? Wow. And when there is, sometimes it's so simple. I mean, I, I can tell you so many cases where I just give a pair of reading glasses and the behavior changes. Right. You know, it's, it opens a whole new lease on life. And the the thing is that it's often not picked up... At a pediatrician, when a parent goes for a screening and the child says, uh, "You know," the child reads a twenty-twenty line, and the the pediatrician or the the assistant says, "Oh, vision's fine," right. but that's not vision. That's only eyesight. And so they're not getting a comprehensive vision screening. Certainly not in the way that they use their vision in the classroom.
0: Right.
2: They're they're going off with a uh, false sense of security. That everything is hunky-dory and fine and and my kids vision
0: is checked out eyesight isn't vision I mean that's no right, right there that's a, <laughs> a big statement for a lot of people to just digest let's go back to when you say it's fairly simple so when people mm-hmm. come into you it's fairly simple to distinguish if they have um, these these what do you call them vision
2: well vision dysfunctions there's um there's a variety of different diagnoses but globally these are problems that affect the ability to focus efficiently and effectively. So when I say focus, I don't mean mental focus, but inside the eyeball itself is a lens that changes shape with muscles that we use to, to adjust whether we see clearly for far or for near. And most people rub up against that when they start to get into their 40s or 50s and uh, we say their arms get too short. They start holding things farther and farther away to see it clearly because they're having trouble adjusting their focus at near point. So the Average adult will not see this problem in their young years if everything is, is working smoothly and as it ought to work. But when I write a prescription that's the same as I would write for a middle-aged adult, but I'm writing it for a child to help their focusing system, that's sometimes you know because they have trouble controlling the focus. So they may not have developed that skill of muscle control. Kind of like a camera on autofocus where the, the autofocus is on the fritz and you see it kind of zooming right past the clear spot. We have better cameras nowadays than we used to, but if you can go back a decade and remember oh, this camera's not working right, it's just going right past the focusing point. And so that would make it really uncomfortable for a child to sit and read or to sit and do their math homework
0: right so, so maybe yeah. there's nothing wrong with their brain it's something right. with a muscle inside the eye and it's not just a muscle it's really neuromuscular so you work with different tools that mm-hmm. so that retrains the neural pathways in their brain yes okay perfectly what are those tools they include
2: lenses where we give them an opportunity to make an adjustment or change. We might patch an eye during an exercise so that we isolate certain structures so they learn to identify, oh, this is what I'm moving. We use for binocular dysfunctions, like eye teaming problems, we may use special glasses that separate the left eye and right eye image so that the two eyes can realize when they're working together, where um, each eye gets a different vantage point 3D images, for example, or we have slightly different color glasses between the two eyes to help them with that. Or we're working also with um, just as simply as the eyes and the hands in exercises that develop that facility and control over aiming closer and farther, focusing for closer or farther, tracking left to right and top to bottom. And then we do sometimes computerized games that help to expose an area of the back of the eye, an area of the retina, so that the peripheral vision is getting used in a more effective way where they they start to learn to process visual information in their peripheral vision because that's really what holds the two eyes working together as a team.
0: Dr. Samantha Slotnick. She's in Scarsdale and at drslotnick.com. Behavioral optometrist drslotnick.com. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. April is Autism Awareness Month, and the Hudson Valley is home to a fabulous resource, the Anderson Center in Poughkeepsie and Statsburg. Eliza Bozinski is here to give us an Anderson
3: update. The current statistic on children who are diagnosed on the autism spectrum in the United States is 1 in 68, and it's closer to 1 in 40 boys. Pediatricians and I think parents are becoming more aware they're checking on things and asking questions and asking for their children to be evaluated at earlier ages, and what's available to help people with autism, especially at younger ages, I think has grown so significantly that there's a new sense of really wanting to know if your hunch is correct, because there's you know one, one thing that's been proven time and time again is that early intervention can be very effective.
0: So early intervention, can we say early intervention can help with a reversal of
3: the symptoms? I have heard that. I, I Personally, I have not experienced meeting anybody who you know, had autism and then no longer does, mm-hmm. but I've definitely read articles and heard from fam- some families that their child was initially given a diagnosis and then that diagnosis was removed typically i think if that's going to happen that person is probably falling on the very higher end of the spectrum autism is a spectrum disorder which means that there's an enormous range of how it might affect any individual the people that we serve at anderson tend to be very very challenged but there are people who used to have a diagnosis it was called at one point asperger's syndrome that's kind of moving away now it's really being referred to as higher functioning autism look You know anything is possible early intervention I think has demonstrated efficacy in the realm of I think really reducing socially significant behaviors increasing communication skills eye contact a lot of those things that really make the difference in terms of a quality of life um, and the ability to you know get through school and uh, hold down a job many of the things that we find that even for people who are on the higher end of the spectrum um, who can make it through maybe a structured college program when it's time for them to move out and be independent and live on their own and uh, and and hold a job, those challenges creep up, and it's people call them soft skills, and they can get in the way of receiving feedback from the supervisor and knowing how to deal with that right. without you know exiting the situation. so so I think you know all those things are are extremely important. and um I used to work in early intervention years and years ago before I was at Anderson. And so I can definitely attest to the fact that it can that can make a difference for a lot of ways for children dealing with a lot of different issues.
0: We've learned so many words as we've become educated through Autism Awareness Month. And there's another one, soft skills. And that refers to?
3: Soft skills are really those things that, that again, if you think about it in your own life, it's, you know, interacting with people. So, you know, Casey, you and I see each other because sometimes I come and record Anderson's radio show down You know, by you guys, and so we chat in the hallway. Yeah, we say hello, we make eye contact. Um, When our when our bosses have to give us some feedback, they may call us into their office. We may have a slightly uncomfortable conversation, but at the end of the day, generally speaking, we know that that person is trying to get the best out of us. Uh, We're not fired. Um, You know, we're we're going to come back the next day. We're going to try to apply what we've been given feedback on. Soft skills are, are those types of skills where you can. Where your job becomes rewarding and interesting and, and often fun because you're working with around with and around other people in a in a positive way soft skills can also mean that you understand that part of your supervisor's job is to give you feedback and it's not always going to be that you're the best employee that ever existed on the planet. Sometimes it's going to be, you need to work in this area. Because those are all connected to our social skills as human beings, those can be heavily impacted along with many other things when you're on the spectrum. Mm. And if you're a person who, can't, who hasn't developed the skill to handle that or to know what to do with that without it eating at you or making it so your anxiety goes through the roof and you really can't be in that situation anymore, you might walk away or put yourself in a position of having to leave a job that otherwise may have been perfect for you right um, so that's what I mean by soft skills and that's just one example it's, it's, it's very much the, the person-to-person interaction that really makes life interesting
0: right now Asperger's you say that term is going away in place of it will be
3: I think people have interchangeably used uh, higher functioning autism or the you know higher functioning end of the spectrum Versus Asperger's syndrome. Asperger's syndrome was named after a, a person named Hans Asperger many, many years ago. I, but yes, I believe in the diagnostic and statistical manual that, that comes out every 10, 15 years that Asperger's syndrome starting to not be as used as often. Uh, and, and doctors, when giving a diagnosis, are going to diagnose somebody who, you know, as ha- you know, having autism or being on the autism spectrum or having autism spectrum disorder. And then within that diagnosis is the is where that individual may fall on the spectrum, as yeah. opposed to there being an additional name of a separate disorder.
0: Everything has changed with autism. It used to be something we didn't talk about much. Now I have friends with Aspergers and other things who post about it. You know,
3: yeah, <laughs> yep. this is how I, I am. Yep. This is
0: what I grew up with, and you know, and they're and they're educating us.
3: I get so excited when I see that. I, I think that that you know, I, I I'm such a Sometimes I simplify things because it just makes sense and in my heart and my head and, and I feel as though what we're seeing right now is people doing the right thing. Right and left. I, I just and and one of the things that that I think is going to change the world is people with autism and people who identify as somehow different or or I don't even know what the right terminology is anymore. I don't right. want to you know, throw it out there. But that there, you know, there's a level of this is who I am. Yeah. That is what makes life interesting. So I, I love it for the same reason. Um, I, I think those folks were always around us. We were always interacting with them. They were our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's happening is there's a sense of empowerment um, and individuality that is I think societally just looked at as more okay now. Yeah. And without that, we really I think we're facing some some very scary times. Yeah. So th- those people to me are the leaders. They are the next generation of what's going to uh change the world and anything that we can do as a community you know, that's why I have a radio show for Anderson is because I want to interview those people. I want to have, you know, give whatever platform I can give to have them, tell their stories and share their, share their experiences. And what you come down to is we're much more alike than we are different. And I know that that's said all the time, but it it's bears true. repeating. And bears repeating.
0: All right. And what we can do is support what you do at the Anderson School. So I know you have some dates coming up. So tell us how we can participate
3: foremost i want to do a shout out to jamie and larry at uh at millhouse brewing company they are awesome and they've been partnering with us for the last several years around mr anderson ale throughout the entire month of april they serve uh, and actually their servers educate Uh, their patrons about Mr. Anderson Ale, which is a delicious beer brewed by Jamie and Larry a few years ago with the grandson of our founder, uh, a man named Vance Gage, who was Dr. Anderson's grandson, and also a beer aficionado, and he got to come and brew this beer, and every April they sell Mr. Anderson Ale at Millhouse, and for every pint that they sell in April, a dollar comes to the Anderson Foundation, which uh, really helps us and helps provide opportunities uh, for our students and adults in what we do. So please get out there if you're looking for a great place to go. The food is great, the atmosphere is great, and, and ordering it at Mr. Anderson, you can get Growlers to go. It's a lot of fun there. So- shout out to them. We appreciate that very much. Very good. We also have a couple of 5Ks coming up. Then on June 21st, we have our annual golf classic. Uh, a little farther out, on November 3rd, we're going to have our annual gala, which is being held at the Grandview in Poughkeepsie. Like us on Facebook, and again, our website, andersoncenterforautism.org.
0: Eliza Bozinski from the Anderson Center for Autism. Support them. Find out more at andersoncenter.org.
3: And our thought for the
0: day, inspired by spring, which I think is finally here as I see things are starting to grow, is from Maya Angelou, who said, dare to let your dreams reach out beyond you. Have a great day.